Welcome to Hastings Outdoors, your podcast for hunting, fishing, conservation, and more. Straight from the Mississippi Flyway to your hearts. Let's go! Good morning! Hey, at least it's morning for me right now while I'm recording this. Good day, good night, good evening, good whatever when you're listening to this uh greetings to all right now it's a a a sprinkling drizzly drizzly wow i just mumble mouth that one pretty good drizzly rain outside uh which is much appreciated it's been super dry uh there's been dry conditions all across the midwest and i think most of the country really this uh spring so far into early summer and the rain is absolutely welcome If you guys are listening, and if you've listened to uh, the, the previous episodes, um, do me a big favor. Uh, please subscribe, follow, all that good stuff. Check uh, check out Hastings Outdoors on Instagram and Facebook, all that stuff. Uh, really, just trying to spread the word, grow the grow the audience, and and get the uh, get the podcast out there. Uh, you know, I, I'm not looking to make this a job, a full time thing. I don't expect any any awesome stuff to happen, like, uh, turning into, uh, you know, the duck hunting, hunting, fishing outdoors, you know, version of JRE, although that'd be cool. Uh, but I'm not expecting anything. I, I'm not looking to make money. I'm just looking to get the podcast out there to my, uh, my fellow outdoors, people, hunters, fishers, all that stuff who, uh, work 40 hours a week, have a full-time job, blue collar folks, just like me. And, um, I would really appreciate that. So, uh, if you listen to the last episode I put out, I kind of talked about, um, my intro introduction to duck hunting. Uh, my first season, uh, I did kind of an overview on that. And now, um, I mentioned that I had, that I got a new boat for this coming season, not a brand new boat, but it's a new boat for me. Um, and I want to kind of talk about the process of that and to, uh, to share information to show you guys that, Hey, um, you don't have to have a massive budget to get a duck boat and, or get a, a boat in general and make it something you like. So with that, here we go. Um, the first duck boat I had, it was, if you listen to, I, I, I think I spoke about it a little bit in the first and first episode, and I definitely spoke about it in the second episode, but it was a, an, a, an oversized sneak boat for lack of better term. Um, it served its purpose, had a little mud motor. It worked okay. Wasn't necessarily ideal, but, um, it was a fun little thing. And, um, my only issue is I, I wanted, I didn't want to have two boats, one for fishing, one for hunting. I didn't want a hunting specific boat. Um, although I don't mind having more boats, that'd be cool. Um, I love boats. I don't think my wife would appreciate a lot of boats, but I wouldn't mind it. But <clears throat> I wanted a kind of uh, one and done type thing. You know, a boat that I can use for fishing, boat that I can use for hunting, that kind of thing. And so I... I started searching on marketplace. Um, I actually had a, uh, little V bottom fishing boat that I, I redone, repainted all that good stuff. It was, 
it was a good little boat. It was nice. And the paint turned out great. It was pretty sharp. And, uh, I had that, that I was selling and looking to trade even for, uh, basically 1650, uh, 1652, you know, 54 that there's all kinds of variation there, but a 16 foot John boat. And so I'd searched for a long time. Uh, I'd probably the, the overall search until I finally ended up with the one I have now was probably a good six to eight months, maybe. And, um, so I, it was looking on marketplace. I, I found some that I thought were suitable for what I was trying to accomplish. I, I found some that I could probably make work. You know, it was, it was just, it was sorting through all the, all the stuff on there. And, you know, I'd see something great and man, they were asking a fortune for it. You know, a gutted out tracker fishing boat, um, which is basically a, a shiny John boat. Um, and people asking, you know, what I, what I would consider a little much for, how old it was and what it had. Um, then I'd, I'd find some that I thought were reasonable and they turned out not to be very good boats at all. And then I found, I found one listing and it wasn't too far away. It was, Oh, I want to say it was under two hours away. And the guy was, uh, he bought the boat for the outboard that was on it. And, um, he bought it for the outboard and pretty much the trailer. And it was basically the hole. And somewhere along the line, someone had carpeted the, the boat. They put uh, a treated plywood floor in it. Um, they had There was a little bit of a, a raised fishing deck up front. Not much, just like a little six, seven inch, whatever platform up front with a four deck where you can mount a trolling motor, that kind of thing. Nothing fancy. Uh, the paint was a little rough. Um, and it wasn't in the best condition. I mean, it was definitely you could you could see the age on it, uh, but it looked it looked okay. And uh, he originally listed it for I think a thousand. And um, I uh, I offered him seven hundred, and I, I even prefaced it because I I know I mean shoot that's thirty percent less than what he's asking. I feel like it, you know you don't want to go you don't want to offer someone too much lower than what they're asking because then you're just being kind of rude. You know, you're just kind of wasting their time. You never know. Maybe someone's just got the itch to get rid of it and maybe they'll, they'll bite on it. But I, I kind of told him, I said, Hey, I know you're, I know you're asking a thousand. Would you take 700? I'm not trying to lowball you or offend you or anything, but you know, would you take 700 for it? And he said, uh, you know, he, he politely declined my offer and I said, okay, thank you. And went about my way. And, um, Kept searching, kept searching. A couple months go by. Hadn't really found anything that I, I felt was good, you know, good for what I wanted. I found some stuff I could probably make work. Um, but nothing, nothing really turned up and nothing really happened. So a few months goes by and I, I happen to stumble upon or stumble across this listing for that boat I made an offer on again. And I noticed that it was the same boat, uh, same pictures and uh, same seller. And he had reduced the, or relisted it for 750, but it had also dropped the price from 750 to 500. So now that boat's gone from a thousand asking to 500. And, uh, I 
I was like, well, shoot, I've got some stuff that I don't need, you know, some equipment and whatnot that I don't need. I'm going to see if he'll trade for it because it seems like he's just trying to move this boat. And, um, I'm, I, I messaged him up. I said, Hey, you know, would you, would you consider a trade? And the conversation went from there and he said, you know, let me know what you got. That kind of thing ended up trading for this boat. Now this boat didn't come with a trailer. Didn't come with an outboard. It was just the boat. I think that the best thing it had was a little bit of a, a little bilge pump and, um, an old hummingbird sonar which that's fine. I was planning on redoing the whole thing anyway. Not concerned. Uh, so we made a deal. Uh, me and my buddy, Bob, Bob's not my uncle, just my buddy. And, uh, we, uh, took that little V bottom fishing boat. I had set the boat off the trailer, took the trailer up there, picked this thing up and off to the races with the project. The first thing I did is, you know, I kind of, um, once I got the boat home, I kind of just did an evaluation on it to see what's what, checking for structural issues and all that kind of stuff. Um, little side note, I've been uh, working in uh, welding and fabrication professionally for oh, at least a decade, I'd say. And I have a little bit of, of information, knowledge, experience with metal, you know, aluminum, steel, all that stuff. And so I was looking for thin spots in the aluminum, uh, weaknesses, um, you know, obviously loose rivets. I was looking for anything structural that would, would basically make this no go. And after scouring everything, uh, mostly on the outside under the hole, I had it up on jack stands. I, I got the creeper under there, rolled under it, checked everything out and everything looked pretty good. There are a few dents and dings there here and there, but it hadn't stretched the material all that much. Uh, it hadn't punctured. And so that's a good thing. So the next step was to basically gut this entire boat. Um, in the first episode, I, I kind of briefly touched on this boat that it had black carpet in it. And yeah, that man, it looked sharp. It really did look sharp. Whoever did it, they did, they did a pretty good job on it. Um, you could tell it was kind of a, uh, it wasn't professionally done. Uh, it's no no diss to whoever did it or no knock to whoever did it, but um, you could tell someone took the time and and made it a project and so on and so forth. But I started ripping all that carpet out. And then I uh, saw that the floor was basically uh, treated plywood, took that out, and uh, that allowed me to inspect the inside of the hole and nothing major. Um, a lot of screw holes in the ribs, <laughs> but I mean, that's kind of expected, you know, somebody put a deck in it, got it. Um, I did find one tiny hole on the, uh, starboard side towards the front where I think someone just missed with the drill and, uh, it wasn't a big hole, but you know, it's still a hole in the bottom of a boat. Um, so yeah, I got that fixed. And then I, as I was peeling the carpet off that little front you know, fishing deck platform area. Um, I, I, <laughs> I kind of got a surprise because with the carpet on it, it looked standard, you know, whatever looked like a, uh, maybe it was just a factory type thing that they just carpeted. Well, turns out it was, uh, basically a makeshift platform 
Um, they had some odds and ends aluminum angle spanning the ribs of the boat to make a flat surface. And the sheet metal they used for the floor and basically the, the outer shell of that deck itself turned out to be old street signs. Which, okay, I get it. If you can get them, if you can buy them from your your local highway department, your local county department, whatever it is, uh, if you can buy the old ones, you know, and and use them for something, it's aluminum, it's aluminum sheet metal. But but good lord, man, this was a, this was a uh, oh my goodness, it was a hodgepodge like paper mache style patchwork deck and god bless them because they must have spent a lot of time trying to put all these pieces together to make something halfway functional out of and um no judgment there i mean use what you got use what you can afford i get it that i'm all about that but dang man like really anywho so i i, I, I drilled all those rivets pulled all those street signs out there was a uh i think a do not pass sign uh Oh man, what else was there? I um I think there was pieces of a stop sign. Um I try to think what the other one was. I think there was a speed limit sign. And in in the first episode I talked about these signs. These signs they were massive signs. So I'm guessing they came off of uh, like a divided highway interstate type situation, but just massive signs. And so as I, I I'm drilling all these rivets out and I finally get the the street signs pulled up. And I, I, I was like, well, crap, because the instant I pulled it back, I saw that there was expanding foam under it. And um, I, I kind of touched on this before, but the, the expanding foam in a marine application, there are ways to do it. Um, it serves a, a particular purpose. They make, uh, to the best of my knowledge, based off my research, they make marine-grade expanding foam. I don't know. Maybe I just found a weird website. But the expanding foam that was used in this application, it looked like the kind of stuff you could buy for insulating your walls for a non-marine residential-type application. And... It it did work for what it was intended, what its intended use was. The only problem is, it was saturated with water, and there was a lot of it. So I had to rip every single chunk of that out. And it, oh, expanding foam is kind of a pain in the butt because it does adhere to surfaces that it comes in contact with. When it finally cures, it kind of glues itself where it is that's what it's made for it's how it was designed it works great in that way because it doesn't just expand fill a void and then you know just sit there loosely it, it actually adheres and it, it works good for that but it was a pain in the butt trying to get it off the hull of the boat because um there were there were parts that uh i guess didn't have enough I'm not sure the how the uh, how the reaction works to cause the expansion, but there was areas, especially in the 
ribs on the hull of the boat, the, the formed ribs, not the cross member ribs. There were areas in there where it was just a giant, it looked like just a giant epoxy, like smudge pile junk, you know, whatever there. And man, it was, it was like chiseling trying to get that crap out of there. And, uh, Got all that stuff out. I actually uh, recorded a, uh, a short video I may throw up on the Instagram here before long of me stepping on a piece of that foam on the garage floor. And you can just see the water coming out of it. And I, I even held a piece in my hand and, and recorded it and squeezed it. And it's like wringing out a towel, man. It is just it is saturated. So got all that out of there. I, uh, I basically tore out everything in the front of the boat except for that uh, four-deck um, I don't, I don't really know the term for it guys, but usually on most boats there, there will be some sort of deck that's close to the height of the gunnels and the, the, the rail on the, on the bow where you can, you know, step into the boat. Um, a lot of people mount trolling motors up there on most fishing boats. There's a trolling motor, some sort of graph lights, etc. I left that in there because it was, um, at this point it was just a piece of sheet metal riveted around the front of the boat. Um, but I was hoping that I could reuse it ends up. I couldn't reuse it because it was so beat to crap. Um, there were spots and dents and dings and so many holes in it. I mean, it looked like a, uh, a, a cheese grater. There were so many holes in it and there were stretches and, and, and there was so much stress on it that it wasn't structural anymore. And, I could tell where they had a uh, bow mounted trolling motor on it at one point in time. And I found, I found some of the hardware they used to mount that trolling motor. And I don't know what they're called. I talked about in the, I talked about it before, but they're the, uh, I guess self anchoring bolts. Um, you can kind of look it up if you want to, but they have little, um, two little flanges on the, end of the bolt opposite the head that you can drill a hole into say a board or something like that, uh, where you don't have a good backer or you can't get a nut on the backside of it. And, uh, you drill a hole big enough to stick those flanges through. It's got a washer and then usually some type of bolt or screw head fastening head on the other end. You stick the, you fold these little wings down, stick it through the wings spring back up and it creates basically its own backer. And you can tighten against that. They're not great for a lot of weight that I believe. But anywho, they'd use that through sheet metal. And not surprisingly, the sheet metal, the sheet metal aluminum, which was, I, I think, a fuzz under a 16th, tore. And that whole corner, the, the, the port front corner, was just... Oh my gosh, it was, it just wasn't usable. There were big old holes, tears, rips, all sorts of stuff. So ended up taking that out too. And there was a, um, there was no damage from the expanding foam. Um, I guess one more little thing about expanding foam. Um, if you want to fill a void in aluminum with expanding foam, you have to make sure that you leave uh, venting holes or somewhere for it to vent somewhere to where it, it can expand, but not build pressure and, um, create stress on rivets on the aluminum and all that good stuff, because it can, 
expanding foam can uh, disfigure or bow or stretch or, you know, just balloon for, uh, for, I guess, ease of, ease of not rattling or racking my brain for a term. But anywho, expanding foam can stretch aluminum. It could, it can just deform it and all that good stuff. So you, you want to make sure you have enough room for it to vent. And even if you're working on a fiberglass boat and you, uh, you're redoing a floor and you want to put expanding foam under that floor, you have to have venting. Uh, basically any excess foam, once it expands and fills that void, if it keeps expanding, you want to let that stuff come out. So you're just filling the void and not stretching it. So towards the back of the boat, there was a factory bench seat and there was a couple of, I don't know what, I don't know what purpose they serve, but maybe extra flotation. I don't know, but there was a couple of, uh, between the transom well and that bench seat, there was an open area for you know, like a bilge area. And in there on each corner, there was a little box that matched up to the bench seat in the back of, excuse me, the back of the boat. Those were also filled with foam. And the reason I bring up the venting is because they weren't really vented and they were stretched out. I mean, it looked like an overinflated tire almost. So I tore all that out and finally got the boat gutted stripped down it was a pain in the butt so much hardware so much i mean screws here there everywhere all kinds of hodgepodge stuff it took a long time i finally got it stripped out got all the hardware out and scraped all the aluminum the uh, sorry not the aluminum scraped all the uh insulation expanding foam off the aluminum and finally got a good look at it <laughs> there was some some holes I need to fix here and there, but everything seemed to be structural. So woohoo, win for the home team. Um, yeah, from there on, it was basically cleaning it up, getting it ready for what I wanted to do. And I ended up sealing the inside of the hole. And um, uh, obviously, I got all the old hardware out and not to get back on the soapbox because I think I talked about it before. Uh, if you're going to use hardware on a boat, save yourself the headache, uh, do yourself a favor. And even if you know, you're not going to keep this boat for a long time, do the next guy a favor. Um, it's not going to cost you a lot more, but use stainless steel hardware. Um, it's, it's really not that much more expensive guys. Um, I think I'm in, in this entire build, I, I had some stainless steel hardware, and some of the stuff that I had to buy, I I probably have 40 bucks in hardware in this entire build. So, okay. Off that little rant, save yourself the headache, save yourself the time. And worst case scenario, or if you don't plan on keeping it, save someone else the headache and the time. Uh, from having rusted out hardware, broken screws, all that kind of stuff. So, I knew I wanted to put a floor in this boat. Um, I knew I wanted to have a little bit of a fishing deck up front and I knew I had to replace that four deck for a trolling motor. And so that's what I did. I, I took my time. I got some aluminum angle. I bought some scrap from where I work. Um, I had some, you know, scrap from other stuff. I, you know, I, I used what I had and I bought scrap and, and all that kind of stuff to make the structure of that deck. And I got the deck all framed out laid out where I wanted some batteries and some storage and stuff like that. And, uh, got some sheet metal for the floor. 
Um, I actually, uh, some stuff, I ended up selling some, some extra stuff I didn't need. You know, I was just taking up space and I used that money to buy some sheets of aluminum sheet metal from a local company that made my floor, um, basically got most of the metal work done. And then I came to the back of the boat and I was kind of, kind of stuck on what I wanted to do. I, I, I'd originally wanted to make some aluminum boxes. Um, but the only problem is I was running out of angle. I didn't want to go buy new and I was having a hard time getting my hands on any. And, um, without the only way I could, the only way I in my little shop could make those boxes, like form them and all that stuff, they wouldn't have been very rigid. And so I would have needed extra bracing. I would basically would have had to frame the inside and, and skin the outside to make it functional. So I got the idea and you know, you can think I'm redneck for this one. All you, all you want. It's fine. I get it. But I got the idea of, Hey, what if I got a truck bed toolbox, cut that sucker in half, butted them up in the corners and made my boxes there. I've got lids. I'll have hinge material, all that good stuff. And so that's what I ended up doing. Um, I may put pictures up on social of the boat later i'm kind of in the middle of a project with it right now but i may put up some pictures just so you guys can see it um but so that's what i did i i, I got some i found a full-size truck bed toolbox the one that butts up against the cab and then it came with side boxes i found it on marketplace not too far from the michigan state line and uh oh shoot i think they're asking 90 i offered them 75 they said great I ended up not using those side boxes. I, 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 I thought about using that for a rod locker, gun locker thing, but I kind of 86 that idea because I wanted, I wanted to keep the floor open, but I used the big box for what is now it, it, I keep my cranking battery in one side. I've got a fuel tank in the other side. I've also got room for all my tackle, um, and whatnot. So it worked out pretty good. Got the, got the floor in and, uh, aluminum is pretty slick. I'd plan on painting it, but I didn't know if the paint, uh, sometimes, you know, I was, I was spray painting with the, uh, Rust-Oleum spray paint, the camo spray paint that I was telling you guys about in the last episode. If you want to do any kind of camo or painting your boat or anything like that, if it's a John boat or, or you wanted that olive drab color or whatever it is, it's good stuff to use. Um, make sure you shake it well. That's all I got to say, but it works great. So I wanted to paint the floor. I wanted to paint the boat. And, uh, before I, painted the floor I actually used a uh, can of roll-on bed liner on the floor to give a textured surface so that's not slick and that worked out pretty good I painted over top of it worked great got the boat painted and um, the, just that dark forest green color I think Rust-Oleum calls it and I wanted to I wanted some sort of camo on the side um, not necessarily functional camo I mean the blind is going to cover most of it, but I just wanted to, to give it a different look. And so I found some stencils on Amazon and I must not have been paying attention when I ordered these things because when they showed up, they ended up being like 12 by 12 stencils, which that's not horrible. I mean, they work great on my kayak, but on the boat, you got a lot more surface area and it, it, it takes a lot of work. And it's, it's, for me, it was difficult. I'm not that great at stenciling, at least painting with stencils like that. And, uh, I wanted to do like a, a blade grass type pattern because I think that looks really cool on boats, 
but the problem is the stencil I bought that it came in a variety pack, but the, the one blade grass pattern, you know, the side of the boats, you know, from the corner, bottom corner of the hull to the gunnel is almost two foot. Well, I, I did a test and it just didn't look good. I, I couldn't find a good way to blend it. I couldn't. And so I just, I, I got rid of that. I was like, I'm not, I'm not doing that. And, uh, one of my, one of my favorite, uh, camo patterns is like the Vietnam era jungle camo jungle pattern. You've seen it. If you have a pair of camo cargo shorts, that's what we're talking about. Um, and so I didn't want to wait to, to buy some kind of stencil kit for that. And so what I did is I, I just drew up some patterns on cardboard. I cut out the inside, saved the outside for my stencil and just went to town on the side of the boat and it turned out pretty good. I mean, you can definitely tell it's not like, it's not like some pristine factory job, but it looks pretty good. It served its purpose. Turned out way better than I expected. And I used four different colors of that Rust-Oleum camo paint on it. There's a, like a desert tan, which is a really light tan. Um, there's a, oh, I, like a dark earth. It's a really dark brown. They have a flat black and then they have a lighter green and that's what I used. And like I said, I'll throw up some pictures later so you guys can see um, and see that it's doable on a budget. Um, that's the biggest thing. But yeah, I got the, I got the boat pretty set up now. I'm just trying to get the blind on it and um, trying to get ready for, for duck season. Um, I've, I've got an outboard that's been giving me fits. Um, I'll get into that in just a second, but yeah, that was pretty much the build. And uh, realistically, I think for the boat itself, I've got maybe $600 in the materials. And uh, if you're like me, getting a boat, starting over from scratch, gutting it, and then putting roughly 600 bucks into it to get it to where you want it, that's, that's a pretty good deal. One thing I did forget to mention about this boat is that I had to replace the wood for the transom. Now, if, if you're, if you're looking for a boat, if you're wanting to do something like kind of what I'm doing here, um, if it's an aluminum boat, don't get too hung up on a, a, a rotted transom, at least the wood. Um, if there's, if there's big holes in the back of the boat on the back side of the transom, uh, yeah, well, it's, it's fixable, but you kind of have to do a cost benefit analysis on that to see if it's, if it's really worth the time, if, if it's going to last and, and yada, yada, you, you make up your own mind on that one. But as far as just the rotted wood, it's, it's really not that big of a deal. Um, on this one, it had a trans it, well, it has a transom. Well, um, I left it in there. I, let me rephrase that. I put it back in there just for a little bit of more uh, rigidity. Um, it doesn't really serve much purpose for me, um, other than just rigidity, uh, rigidity on the transom. Um, but I had to take that out and I had to, uh, remove some of the metal on top of the transom. It was from the factory. It looked like it was one piece. Uh, when I got it, someone had notched the center out. Um, they somewhere in the center, about an 18 foot section or 18 foot. Oh my gosh. 18 inch section. Um, 
and it was about three or four inches deep that they just cut a chunk out. And I'm assuming they had a, uh, a smaller outboard or a shorter outboard or something that wouldn't quite, wouldn't quite catch the water. And that's what they notched it for, uh, to drop that, drop that outboard down. Um, but, uh, there was actually a drain hole going through the transom. Uh, this was a factory thing, a drain hole going through the transom from that, uh, transom well. And the, I think it was, it, it looked like maybe it was brass, um, some type of really, it wasn't aluminum, but it was some type of really soft metal, pliable metal. And it looked like what they what they did at the factory, and I don't know for sure. Um, we'd have to get a hold of low or something to track down how they did that process, if they even do it or even remember it anymore, or can look it up. But it looked like they took some sort of short brass tube and um, stuck it through the transom and basically flared the edges, kind of like a, uh, a double-sided rivet, to create that drainage port. So uh, basically, if your transom well got flooded or something like that, the water could escape. Um, but being that this boat's, oh shoot, I want to say it's an 86, 84, 86, somewhere around there. Um, that little piece was loose, the little brass piece. You could spin it by hand. And that allowed water to get in and on the wood. And so from that little drain port down was completely rotted out. I mean, you could literally just grab chunks by hand to pull it out. So it had to be replaced. It wasn't structural anymore. And so I removed the transom well, re removed what aluminum they had in that little notch out and, and had to work back some of the uh, aluminum from that notch out to the either side of the boat. And I, I got all that wood out of there. I got the bolts out. Uh, they had through bolts for the transom. That's pretty common. I got those out, you know, basically got it loose. And the, tr the old transom was, um, in a perfect world, uh, at least for me, what I would, if, if I had to do, if I had to do it again, what I would hope is that I could salvage at least something of the original wood to use as almost kind of a, a template or something to get dimensions off of. But this, this one was too far gone and I didn't have that luxury. So I had to take dimensions of the inside of the transom, um, you know, side to side, get the angles and all that stuff and, uh, basically start from scratch. So I got some, uh, treated plywood and I know there's a lot of people out there that, you know, they scream, don't use treated plywood on a boat, you know, with aluminum, it can, um, eat the aluminum. And I agree with that. However, um, I really don't want to not use it. Because I would rather, I mean, I don't know how fast it's going to eat the aluminum. And um, one thing I did to prevent against that is after I did that floor, I had a lot of that leftover uh, roll-on bed liner. And so each, I used used plywood. I laminated plywood to get the uh, thickness of what I needed for the, the transom. I think it was half-inch plywood that I laminated however many times to get the thickness. And... Uh, the laminating process I used, it's nothing fancy guys. I used, um, Oh, liquid nails, uh, between the layers. I troweled it out, you know, with like a, a, a grout trowel, um, or basically a grout glue trowel that I would use to put down any kind of flooring. Really. They're like eight bucks at Lowe's. 
I used that to evenly dis- distribute the uh, liquid nails. I bought the bucket of li- liquid nails. I didn't do the, the uh, tubes for the gun just because I wasn't sure how much I was going to need. And I, I, I'd rather have extra than not enough and, you know, get half a board done and then have to scrape all that crap off, before, you know, after I went and got more. But so I uh, spread it all out between the layers. I would do obviously one layer at a time, glue the surfaces, sandwich them together, clamp them, and then I'd run screws through it uh, to basically make sure that it was it was a good even adhesion across each layer and I, I just kept stacking on it and doing repeating the process until i got to the thickness and after that was all said and done i i kind of test fit it there were some areas i needed to trim some uh some areas where just a little bit of sanding would work that kind of thing just kind of custom fitting it to what i had and uh um once i got it to where it would fit nicely um and function right all that good stuff i left it alone i gave it oh man over a week of time in a hot garage uh to let that not hot but warm garage it was it was probably 70s in here 75 in the garage uh just gave it enough time to let that stuff set up and cure uh to make sure that the lamination process was successful and it was um, but once I, I got that done, I went through, I kind of sanded, sanded the plywood. Um, I just used, uh, you know, regular old, uh, I think it was the Georgia Pacific or whatever brand plywood you can get at Lowe's or Menards or wherever I got it. And, um, so I sanded it, prepped it, and then I used that roll on bed liner to coat the entire thing, all the outside edges, the front and back all that stuff i coated it and i probably put three or four coats on it um and let that cure let that set up it was it was kind of a long process because um between between coats tacking up and drying and all that stuff and letting it laminate and all that stuff it took a little bit of time but the cool thing is is i had other stuff i could work on in the meantime so it wasn't a big deal so um once I got it all all ready to go and all cured and everything, put it in the boat, reinstalled everything, and good to go. It wasn't that big of a process. I used just under a sheet of plywood. Um, so if if you there, I'm sure there's better ways to do it. I'm sure there's easier ways to do it. That's just the the route I went because you know I already had some liquid nails. Um, I had the bucket of liquid nails uh, or the jug jar, whatever you want to call it. It's like a half gallon bucket, whatever. And um, I had leftover uh, roll on bed liner from the floor. And so I used what I had and it, it's worked out great. Um, and so uh, I had uh, once once I got that done, you know, I, I kind of did that when I did everything else. Uh, I painted it after all that was done. And um kind of got out of order there as I was describing things but uh then I I needed to power the boat and I had a 25 horse tiller steer Johnson I want to say it was an 89 it was great I actually had it on that old that v-bottom fishing boat um I tried to sell that thing for a long time 
and I had a, I had some what I would consider some really bad offers. Um, you know, if 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 oh, how do how do I say this? If you can't if you can't afford it, then at least be polite when you're offering something really low. I was asking a two thousand OBL, and I, I'd actually I, I just wanted to get it moved because um, I got I actually ended up getting that boat for free. Um, and I put a lot of time and effort into it to basically bring life back into it and spend a good amount of money painting it, recarpeting it and all that jazz. And, um, it just, it did, it didn't work. It, it was fine for me cause I'm, I'm used to, I'm used to small boats and stuff like that. I've had quite a few of them, but it wasn't the most stable and it wasn't necessarily quote unquote family friendly. Um, so I didn't, didn't have a use for it. I didn't want it. And, uh, I dropped the price down and finally I got to the point where I'm like, you know what? I've got this new boat. I'm going to take some things off this boat that I can use on this new, this new boat. Uh, I took that little rants off just for depth and, um, oh, it really wasn't much that I took. I did, I did, I did take the batteries out of it. Cause I'm like, well, shoot, you know what? I, I need batteries for this boat. And, uh, I took the outboard and the fuel tank and I dropped the price to like a thousand OBO and finally sold it. And, um, so I had that outboard and I was, you know, kind of hesitant at first because it was a short shaft and, um, it, I I can see why they notched the transom to begin with, because I'm guessing they had something similar to that on the back of this boat. And it, Oh, I forget the proper term. It's not cavitation, but, the prop wasn't under the water enough to where the um, propeller could actually get traction and push the boat without losing traction. Um, I I, maybe this cavitation, but I think there's another term that is, is the actual proper term for that. But either way, it didn't work out on the boat. So I ended up selling that one. I sold it to uh, a younger dude from somewhere in Michigan for uh, 250 bucks. Uh, I, I probably could have sold it for more. Um, I was actually looking for outboards at the time and I saw a ton. Uh, I, I, I can't remember if I talked about this or not, but I saw a ton of outboards on, you know, like marketplace and Craigslist and stuff like that. And I think it, my opinion, I think people are trying to get a fortune out of stuff that is borderline junk. And it's kind of frustrating because, um, not too long ago, you could find uh, a decent, you know, fixable, tunable, whatever, you know, clean the carbs kind of deal outboard. And it was reasonably priced for the age and for the potential hours it has and all that stuff. Whereas nowadays it seems like anyone who has an outboard for sale, they're asking a fortune for it. Uh, I recently saw a 9248 special Johnson and, um, they, uh, the seller, I guess it, maybe it was a really outstanding outboard. I'm not sure, but, uh, they were asking, uh, I think 2000 for it. It was a 1992. So a, was that a 31 year old outboard for $2,000? Uh, maybe it's worth it. I don't know. Maybe I'm just too much of cheapskate. Maybe I don't know enough about it. Maybe I'm just, I'm just ignorant. I don't know. But in my opinion, 
a 31 year old 31 year old outboard that is it's not easy to find a lot of parts for um yeah there's a lot of stuff online but um it it's not like it used to be getting parts for stuff like that and when you can go buy a newer or even a new one for close to what people, some people, not necessarily the one I'm talking about, but close to what some people are asking for a 20 plus year old, almost 30 year old outboard. I think, I think the, uh, I don't know. I don't know how to phrase it. I think people are, you know, God bless them. If they, if they can sell it for that, then that's on, that's up to them, whatever. But I think it's just ridiculous to be asking in some cases, in some cases, almost half of what a new new outboard would cost you. And yeah, I, <clears throat> I'm familiar with the price of outboards. And uh, I don't know, I just think that I think people are just are trying to get too much out of it. That's my that get off my soapbox there. Anywho, so I sold that one for 250 because I felt that's what it was worth. Um, yeah, I could have I could have sold it for more. But I sold that one for two fifty. Um, it, all it really needed was tuned up a little bit. The uh, the idle was a little off, but it ran fine. It worked fine, shifted fine, everything was good. And uh, I took that money and applied it to another outboard. Uh, I found a forty horse Johnson. It's a nineteen eighty six, sweet little uh, two stroke, and um, I saw it on marketplace. Uh, the guy was asking 500 for it. He'd had it up for quite some time. And I, I just asked him, I said, Hey, would you, would you be willing to take 300 for it? And he said, yep, come get it. Great. He told me right off the bat, I needed a starter solenoid. That's not hard to come by. They're relatively inexpensive. I think for this outboard, I mean, if you're not familiar with it for this outboard, it doesn't take anything fancy, but I found one for, oh shoot, it was 13 bucks on Amazon or something like that. I could have bought it locally probably, but I just, you know, with time constraints and stuff like that, I don't, I don't really have time to go out of my way to go get, you know, that sometimes. And it just worked out easier. But so I got that, um, did a little bit of, uh, tinkering with it. You know, I got new spark plugs. Um, this particular outboard had the VRO, uh, variable ratio oiler. I think that's what it's called or what it stands for. Basically it's an oil pump that mixes your oil and fuel. Um, so for this, this model, you, uh, it was built to have a, an oil reservoir and a fuel reservoir, and it mixed it in that VRO pump based on RPMs and so on and so forth so that you didn't have to mix your gas. And I, I guess it was a performance thing. I'm not really sure. Um, I, I do know that sometimes they, uh, uh, from what I've seen, those VROs, they, they can be really problematic, especially with newer gas. So I swapped it out for a new, uh, not a new, it's a new fuel pump, but it's an old style fuel pump that works off the vacuum of the uh, engine itself, the powerhead. And that was, oh my goodness, excuse me. That was, oh shoot, it was, uh, oh, I want to say 20-ish bucks. And uh, the reason I, I went that route was because I didn't know the condition of that VRO. I am not familiar with the VRO system. 
Um, most of the outboards I've ever seen have the standard diaphragm fuel pump. Uh, that's what I'm familiar with. And the cost to replace the VRO, which you can rebuild them, but the cost to replace the, the unit itself, uh, over 300 bucks from what I saw. And the fuel pump I have on it now is less than 30. It's kind of a no brainer for me. The only difference is you run mixed gas. Not a big deal. That's what I'm used to. So swap that out. Got a new fuel manifold. Um, had some starter issues. Got that figured out. Had to buy an ignition for it. And then I actually, it wasn't a tiller, uh, tiller steer or tiller operated outboard. So I made my own linkages and throttle, uh, throttle control. I made my own shifter and I made a uh, tiller outboard or tiller, geez, tiller outboard. Made a tiller handle for it. Um, like I said, I got a, a, a key ignition for it and, uh, so far so good. It, it, it took a while. I kind of, I didn't really make it a priority project. Um, but I worked on it here and there as I, as I found time for it and, uh, got it running. Um, it had good compression, all that good stuff. I got it running the props a little worse for wear, but, uh, we'll see how it performs. And if it, if the outboard itself performs well and runs like it should, um, then I'll, I'll spend the hundred ish bucks or whatever to replace that prop. Um, but, uh, yeah, I got it. I got it mounted on the boat finally. Cause it, I got it running. I had it on a stand. I got it running. I didn't want to, I really didn't want to put a lot of money into this thing. If I didn't have to, I just wanted to try to see if it was a viable outboard. And, uh, I, I saw enough signs of life that, okay, it, you know, it's time to, time to mount it. So I got it mounted to the transom, bolted on down, sealed up all that good stuff. Uh, I got the battery cables hooked up. Uh, I got my fuel line ran, all that stuff. And, uh, it's been, it's been a lot of back and forth with this thing. It seemed like I was making progress and then, uh, something else would, would be wrong. I had to replace the uh, fuel primer solenoid on this, which they're also not that expensive. I want to say 20, 30 bucks. Um, and, uh, so all in all, I'd say I'm, I'm about $420 into this thing and, um, got it running and got it on the boat and I had to wait for some battery, uh, some longer battery cables come in the other day. And, uh, because of where I mounted it, I, I kind of goofed up on the first set of cables. They weren't long enough to reach the cranking battery where it is in the compartment based off being mounted on the transom. So I got a, a, a power block and ordered some uh, different cables. Good to go there. And so just out of, out of curiosity before I, uh, I, I think it was Wednesday night or something a couple of days ago, I, uh, just finished up putting the, the fuel manifold on it and I wanted to, uh, just hit the key to see if it, see if it cranks just to make sure because I plan on testing it the next day and nothing. I was like, Oh my gosh, I was so frustrated. Long story short, I spent way too much time that night trying to fix it. And I was, I was, I was checking, checking connections. Uh, um, Oh my gosh. I was uh, reading voltages, you know, here, there, everywhere across it to make sure I got power, all this stuff because nothing was happening. And I was talking to one of my buddies and thank goodness I did because I had a complete brain fart. And he said, well, what happens if you jump the solenoid? I was like, why didn't I think about that? So 
jump the solenoid, it cranks. I'm like, okay, good. So it's just a bad solenoid. Um, so that's on the way. <laughs> Fingers crossed. That's all it takes. But uh, yeah, so about now about 450 bucks. Uh, 40 horse Johnson is on the back of the boat. So fingers crossed it works. So about 600 bucks in the boat, uh, 450 in the outboard and the trailer I have it on. I, uh, I found on marketplace. I was looking for a trailer for it. Uh, cause the trailer that I, I brought it home with, I sold with the other boat because it wasn't really fitted for this boat. It was just used temporarily to get it, you know, home. And, um, so I found this, this trailer and I'll make this, make this one quick. I found this trailer on marketplace guy listed for 700. It was just, just the trailer, obviously no boat on it. And it was made for a, uh, I would say, uh, oh, about an 18 foot, uh, pleasure craft, maybe like, you know, like a fiberglass boat, like a rinker or a small bay liner or something like that. And, uh, it was way too wide for the boat. The length was okay, but it was about two foot too wide for the boat. And so I, I brought it home and I'd plan on, uh, with my fabrication experience of narrowing the trailer down and all that good stuff. And so I traded a little bit of stuff for some steel from one of my buddies. And I used that steel for new cross members on this trailer. I cut it down to size. I narrowed it, all that good stuff. Got it welded back up, new lights on it and all that jazz. I paid 500 bucks for this trailer, trader for steel. I had to put new lights on it. So that was about 40 bucks. And other than that, um, and I did put new tires on it. So I'd say I'm into the trailer for about, oh, 600 bucks. So whatever that brings the total to, I said, what, 600 for the boat, about 600 for the trailer. So we're at 1200 there and then 450 for the outboard. Lord willing, if it works this time. Uh, so that brings us up to what, 1650. And I've, I've, got the boat I wanted and it did take a lot of time. Uh, there's no if, ands or buts about it. I probably could have got it done quicker, but I wanted to, in certain areas, I wanted to take my time and do it, do it the way I wanted to do it and do it the way I wanted it to turn out. Um, just because if you're going to put forth the effort, you, you know, you might as well do it how you want it the first time rather than just live with something and, and then have to go do it again. But long story short, again, so for just under 1700 bucks, I have a 16 foot John boat with a fingers crossed, decent outboard. I got a custom trailer for it, all that jazz. And, uh, I've got an Avery quick set blind that I traded for that'll go on it. And so for under 1700 bucks, I've got the duck boat I wanted. I can use it for fishing. I use it for fishing as much as I can and uh, plan on using it for duck hunting this season. Um, so it, it, sorry if, if this, this boat talk wasn't your cup of tea. Um, if you're not into that kind of thing, well, thanks for listening anyway. But um, yeah, I, I didn't go into super details on it. And if you have any questions, feel free to email me. Um, I, I'm more than willing to try to help anybody accomplish, you know, something like that. But, um, yeah, I just want to share this, this kind of overview of this whole project with you guys, um, to show you that you can do it as you go. I didn't spend that money outright. 
You can do it as you go. Um, take your time on it and get something out of it that you want and like without having to go spend a lot of money to do it. And that that's what I'm all about. Um, I, I like having nice things, but at the same time, going and and buying really nice things right off the bat it it can be costly and i like to i like to save money where i can and if i have the skills to save money then i'm going to do it and that's what this is all about so thanks for listening i hope you enjoyed it and i'll catch you next time as always guys thanks again for listening um i appreciate it and if you could uh, show some love, show some support, like, share, follow, subscribe, all that good stuff. Uh, check out Instagram and Facebook, Hastings Outdoors, and uh, stay tuned for the next episode. Thank you.